1: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com cyberwire. Iran hasn't finished investigating its gas station cyber-sabotage... NSO Group says it's going in a new, nicer direction. The Conti Gang hits a luxury jewelry dealer, and another unknown group hits an upscale art dealership. The Chaos Gang is after Minecraft players, players who cheat. Caleb Barlow on pre-breach pre-approvals. Rick Howard introduces sand tables in cyberspace. And Sugar daddies come to the world of advanced fee scams. From the CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire summary for Monday, November 1st, 2021. Reuters and others report that Iranian officials have begun to fix blame for the nominally hacktivist attack that's afflicted the country's gasoline station since last week. Iran's head of civil defense said Saturday, quote, We are still unable to say forensically, but analytically, I believe it was carried out by the Zionist regime, the Americans and their agents, end quote. The attribution seems so far to be based more on a priori probability than on, as the civil defense chief says, forensics. The motive of the attack is still believed in Tehran to be disruption and the fomenting of unrest and dissatisfaction. According to the Tehran Times, the country's intelligence minister said the investigation is still in progress and that full details will be disclosed once it's complete. The intelligence minister said, quote, Complete information obtained from this cyber attack will be made available to the public because what is related to the health, security and welfare of the people must be made available to them and the officials consider informing the public in a timely manner as their duty. End quote. Tehran counts on the vigilance and support of the people and their interest in the homeland and the system to counter and contain any further cyber attacks the country may sustain. NSO Group, best known for its Pegasus Intercept tool, whose sale to and abuse by repressive governments has drawn criticism and provoked controversy, has shaken up its leadership. The company says its new strategic direction will include analytics and defensive cyber. Cyber criminals have hit two upscale brands with extortion attacks. The threat in both cases appears to be that of doxing, of releasing private information online. In the first case, Sky News reports that the Russian Conti gang has begun doxing customers, tycoons and celebrities, as Sky describes them, of the luxury jewelry brand Graf. The gang wants a large payment in exchange for a promise not to release more information. What's out so far seems relatively anodyne, mostly names and addresses that are already in the public domain, but Conti promises worse to come. If you are a client... That is, if you're a crime victim, client is Conti's cynical hoodspeak for victim. If you're a client who declined the deal, and deal is Conti's cynical hoodspeak for extortion demand, and did not find your data on the cartel's website or did not find valuable files, this does not mean that we forgot about you. It only means that data was sold, and only therefore it did not publish in free access. The emphasis is in the original that security firm Malwarebytes quotes in their discussion of the incident. Graf's comment on the incident doesn't disclose much about the nature of the attack, and in particular, it doesn't say whether data were encrypted and stolen or merely stolen. The firm has notified the Information Commissioner's office, which is opening an investigation. The second high-end cyber attack comes from the art world. The MCH Group says its high-end art dealer subsidiary, Art Basel, has also sustained a criminal data breach. MCH describes the current state of affairs on its corporate website, Quote, "...we are working to get all our systems and services fully operational again as soon as possible. The most important internal and external communication channels are ensured. The staging of the planned events is guaranteed." Unfortunately, the available information and analyses indicate that the perpetrators have nevertheless succeeded in gaining access to data that contains personal data, such as contact details, of customers, partners, and employees of the MCH group. Currently, the existing traces are being evaluated in cooperation with cybersecurity experts, End quote. In this case, the perpetrators are so far unknown, although the attack hit back in October— The data at risk appears again to be contact information for Art Basel companies. MCH Group, which appears determined not to pay the ransom demanded, offers customers who may have been affected by the breach some sensible advice. The first recommendation is to warn against the risks of password reuse, change your MCH passwords to be sure, and if you've used your password elsewhere, change it there as well. The second recommendation is a warning against the use of breached information in subsequent phishing attacks. Quote, We also recommend that you exercise caution when dealing with unknown contacts, such as if you are contacted by third parties by email or telephone, who, for example, represent themselves as your bank, internet provider, or insurance company, and use personal details to gain your trust. End quote. As always, sensible, skeptical, common sense is to be applied. Fortinet reports that the Chaos ransomware gang, generally believed to operate from China, is targeting Minecraft gamers in Japan. Not to blame the victim here, but we note that the malware hook is hidden in Fishbait that purports to contain stolen game credentials, which no honest player should touch. And finally, to turn to another activity you should probably avoid, security firm Avast has a warning out about a new scam. People are getting contacted over social media with pitches that read something like this. "'Hey, my name is Walker, and I'm looking for a sugar baby. I would like to pay you €1,500 weekly.' So hop to it, ladies, or... actually, don't. It's just a hoary old advance fee scam, a riff on the familiar "'I am the widow of the late Nigerian prince, come on.' Should you pursue it a bit, as Avast did, you might ask Walker if he's legit." Walker told Avast that, I need a companionship, someone I can talk to online. When Avast replies, Ah, okay, how do I know it's not a scam? Walker simply texts back, 100% safe. Hey, if you can't trust a sugar daddy, who can you trust in the Vale of Tears? Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. And it's always a pleasure to welcome back to the show my colleague Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's Chief Security Officer, also our Chief Analyst, but more important than that, he is the host of the CSO Perspectives podcast, part of CyberWire Pro. Rick, welcome back. Thanks, Dave. You are introducing a new segment this week, and it's something called the Cyberspace Sand Table Series. Uh, what's Easy going on here? Say. Are you? I, well, I was just thinking. Are, are you inspired by uh, Dune that just came came out in the movie theater? You're doing sand tables. It's, uh, what's What's oh, the story
2: here? I wish I would have thought of that, but yeah, I'm definitely gonna be inspired by Dune. I've, uh, but, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> okay. not. Okay. So uh, a few weeks ago, I was watching a program on Tom Brady. Now he's uh, for the non sports aficionados out there. He's the famous NFL quarterback from Tampa Bay, and right. Dave. If your audience has been listening to you and me talking uh, for the last few months, they know that we don't typically talk about sports things, right, when uh, when we're going around, (laughs) right?
1: I don't think either one of, well, I know for me anyway, I am not a sports ball aficionado for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah, So like you and me are more likely to talk about show tunes or superhero movies or, you know. The the important things, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My favorite topic is how I routinely get killed by seven-year-olds in my Fortnite video game, right? But Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. but I can appreciate a sports figure who's doing something really good. And, you know, I watch the Olympics, so I have some uh, affection for those guys. And Tom Brady, whether or not you're a fan or not, uh, you have to admit he is exceptional. He's won seven Super Bowls out of 10 tries while playing on two different teams. And for the old folks out there, He's 44 years old. Now, mm. I'm not a sports fan, like I said, but I'm rooting for the old guy, you know, just on general <laughs> principles. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm old. I'm just saying. Okay, so I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. So I'm watching the show on Brady, and you learn pretty quickly that he spends a lot of time reviewing game film on his opponents, not just a couple of hours a week, but every day for hours so that he can learn to pick apart the defense on the game he's going to play in the following week. And I realized that our community, the Network Defender community, doesn't really have an equivalent version of reviewing GameField, and maybe we should. Uh, okay. I think I know where you may be headed with this. So, uh, why are you calling it the Cyberspace Sandtable Series? So, as you know, I'm an old Army guy, and when— My commanders tried to teach us tactics, either offense or defense. At some point in the process, they would either gather everybody around a patch of dirt or a fancy box with sand in it. That's the sand table, right? Mm -hmm. And they put sticks and rocks in it to represent both sides and go over a famous battle, like, you know, the Battle of Gettysburg or something during the U.S. Civil War. And so by Mm -hmm. watching a physical model of the battle— you could more easily see mistakes made by commanders on the ground. And after watching the Tom Brady show, I realized that sand tables were the military's version of game film. Okay. All right. I'm with you.
1: So for your next CSO Perspectives show, what uh, famous cyber battle are
2: you going to cover? So for this first one in the series, I'm going to cover one of my favorite cyber battles, the 2016 Russian cyber attacks against the U.S. Democratic National Committee, and it's one of my favorites because we have a lot of information about it. There's lots of, you know, public information about what actually happened. So during mm. the show, we're going to uh, talk about what the Russians did and what the Americans did, and then the impact to all of that, and bringing this whole conversation full circle, we're going to engage in some Monday morning quarterbacking about what the DNC should have done to prevent those attacks.
1: Mm, All right. Well, it sounds like fun. And again, that is part of CSO Perspectives, which is part of CyberWire Pro. You can find out all about that on our website, thesyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by our CyberWire contributor, Caleb Barlow. Caleb, always great to have you back. Um, I want to touch today on this notion of pre-approval, sort of... uh, Doing the hard work before you get breached so that when you get breached, and I think it's fair to say when you get breached, uh, you're ready to go,
0: right? What are some of the considerations here? Well, I I stole this concept from one of my favorite CISOs, and I won't embarrass him by mentioning who it is here. But, I mean, this guy's got his act together. And one of the (laughs) things that he did that I think is just absolutely brilliant is, you know, you breached. You need resources. You need money. You need lawyers. You need outside counsel. And time is of the essence this guy got it all pre-approved, and I just—it's as simple as it sounds. I'm like, that's absolutely brilliant. So a few things to think about, right? Go in and lay out a bunch of different incidents of magnitude, from a you know a level two incident, maybe you know there's malware on a couple of machines, but you you know you closed it down quickly. To a you know maybe something that impacts your network, to something more catastrophic that large portions of the company are down and it's public knowledge. Pre-approve a budget for incidents of each of those magnitudes so that if they occur, you do not need to go track anybody down. You already have budget. You can immediately start spending money. And in some Mm. cases, depending on how financial systems work at your company, I've even seen people get credit cards, you know, what they call an event card, where these cards are ready to go. You can basically, you know, keep them at the bottom of your desk. You pull them out. They're ready to go. They got $50,000 on them and you can move. Just a great concept. I can
1: imagine some of the powers that be at a company saying, well, hold on here a second. I'm, I'm paying you to prevent this from happening. Uh, is there a, a, an
0: educational process that's part of this as well? There is, because remember, when a breach occurs, it's too late to prevent it from happening. You're already right at the boom. Now it's about mitigating the damage. And the faster you can move, the faster you can bring resources to bear, the faster you can get your production, your systems, your hospital, whatever it is, back online. So in a lot of ways, what this is about is being able to move quickly to reduce that blast radius. And it's not just pre-approving financial systems. Let's also pre-approve our communications, What are you going to say? Let's get all those things, you know, because let's face it, most security incidents, you could write today what you're going to say. We experienced an incident, we're investigating, we'll be back to you shortly with more information. Great. Get that pre-approved by marketing and legal so that it's on the shelf, ready to go, and you're not one of these companies that's totally silent for three weeks on what's happening.
1: How much is this part of your overall incident response plan? Is is it rolled into that or is it is it its own separate thing or do they fuzz together? What what
0: how does that all that work? I, I think it should be totally rolled into it. And now here's the mm. big one that and here's the big one that people really struggle with. Who's gonna make the decisions? And the wrong answer is it's the CEO or the big boss. Because guess what? They're on a plane to Australia for the next 12 hours, right? <laughs> you have to make decisions with the people in the room. And you have to pre-approve who gets to make the decision. Now, my favorite question to ask people always is, if you had a devastating ransomware incident and your company was totally down, would you pay the ransom? And of course, they all say no. No, we never pay it. Okay, well, let's just pretend you really had to. Who would make that call? Uh, I don't know. Okay, Mm. where would you get the money? How are you going to get a quarter million dollars in Bitcoin by three o'clock this afternoon? Uh, I don't know. You got to go through that exercise because- as much as nobody ever wants to pay the ransomware operators, and by the way, I don't want you to pay either, right? We've talked about that many times on the CyberWire. But right. at least think about who's going to make that really tough decision? Who's going to make the decision to shut down production or disconnect you from the internet? you got to decide that ahead of time because let me tell you, if you got five executives in a room staring at each other, nobody wants to be the one making that decision. Hmm. Okay, so uh, I
1: suppose you could label it uh, a responsibility, perhaps a burden, uh,
0: go too far to say privilege. Security decisions are always a privilege. That's why we're security <laughs> professionals, Dave. But, Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, I mean, but seriously, it requires a level of intestinal fortitude to realize that you're in Christ's decision-making mode. And the best way to facilitate that— is to get these permissions down ahead of time so when it hits the fan, executives are comfortable making those decisions and they're not waiting around to do it. Right, it's one less thing to think
1: about. That's right. All right, well, Caleb Barlow, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Ha! I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed, and check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Falecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler